0: Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, Rising Sun, how are you today? Did you see the sun rising? Yeah, isn't it neat to see that? Uh, as we've had all these cloudy days and kind of gloomy winter stuff, and so now we're starting to see some sunshine. I hope that gets you jazzed up a little bit. My goodness, uh, that's important for us. You know, we need those uh, vitamins that come from the sun. There's your there's your biology lesson for today. Okay, you've had that part. It's good to be with you. I'm Rick Schonkweiler, and I, I jumped into Deuteronomy chapter six last week, and we're going to stay there for a while today, and and uh, just see what God. God is teaching us, and I'm glad to be with you. Thanks so much for having me here. You know, if you could spend some time and money and be sure the genes of your kids or your great, or your grandkids or your great-grandkids were just right, would you do it? I mean, that, that's where we are in technology today, right? That, that we get concerned about what the genetic makeup is of our children, of, of those, those embryos, those just fertilized eggs. But we we do not realize how important we are in the growing of our children. And that's really what Deuteronomy chapter six is talking about. I mean, we want so much for God to make an impact on our family. Part of the reason for being here each week is to see how God will teach and move us. But too often, we rely on others for what's important in life. I mean, I asked some people one time just to give me some ideas of uh, what would be strange to us to expect other people to teach our children or our grandchildren. And you probably have a list of those things yourself. Here, here's some of the things they said They did not expect other people to teach their children to say please and thank you, to take turns, to look both ways before crossing the street. They didn't expect them to teach the buddy system or how to shuffle a deck of cards. Can I mention that here in church today? Yeah. How to fold towels or roll socks. The alphabet, counting, to blow kisses, to be gentle with pets, to stay away from the hot stove, to catch snowflakes with our tongue, to catch lightning bugs. Another person said, I don't expect other people to teach my kids to clap hands or to play, pay, I'll get it right, play patty cake. Say that fast three or four times, right? To talk, to share, to brush their teeth, to comb their hair, to wave hello, to wave goodbye. Another person said, I don't expect other people to teach my kid how to talk, crawl or to walk or laugh. Or to be funny or be respectful of others, to dance, to sing, to eat healthy, tell time, to exercise. You know, there, there are a million things that you as parents, as grandparents, do not expect the church or someone else to teach your children. Maybe like tie their shoes or what sounds animals make. And by, but by the end of our lifetime, these things are relatively unimportant So why is it that there's this attitude that the spiritual development of our children is solely on the church, solely on what happens here in an hour or so today, or even this afternoon, or other kinds of times when students get together? Why is it that their spiritual growth? The most important thing that you will be passing down to your children is often passed off to somebody else. The church is here to come alongside you, to walk with you, to support you, and to help you raise your families, but we cannot allow ourselves to ignore the responsibilities that God has clearly placed in our hands. Some of us realize this is a different generation that we are raising. Maybe you've noticed this as you've looked around. Let me just give you some characteristics that are unique to this crowd that maybe some of us who our hair particularly is graying, forget about. In this generation, they never rode a bicycle without a helmet. This generation never rode in a car without a seatbelt. How many of you remember no seatbelts in the car? Come on, be honest. My hand's up too. I remember that very well. remember the very first car we had with seatbelts. My dad brought that car home and we looked in there and said, are you kidding me? You're going to tie me into the car while you're driving? Oh, man, I think I was probably five or six. Never thought, that would, never thought that would be real. Sorry, jumped off that. They've never watched TV without a remote. I was my dad's remote. Maybe you were too, right? Would you change the channel? There are only three of them, by the way, that you could get to, right? So they've never known a world without the internet. They've always popped popcorn in a microwave. They purchase one song at a time, not an album, not vinyl, they're starting back though, for their entire lives, if they even purchase a song. They've been able to email the US president since they were six years old. Did you even, I mean, a couple of us may have written letters to the president when we were kids, but you never really thought about that. They own a cell phone that doubles as a mini computer. To them, George Foreman has always been a barbecue grill salesman. (laughs) 1980s toys are now sold in antique stores. Bono and Madonna are aging singers, if they even know who they are. They don't remember when cut and paste involved scissors and glue. And the terms roll down your window and you sound like a broken record have to be explained. Right? roll down your window, what, what, what's that? It's a different day. Moses knew in Deuteronomy chapter six, and God knew that as the children of Israel moved into a new land, a new generation, that things would be different. And so Moses wrote, and I'd like for you to stand as we read this, this verse of scripture, and if you'd repeat it with me, I would appreciate it. Here's how it goes. Say it with me. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Amen. Be seated. You know, the the Hebrew would read this consistently. What this scripture did was provided a compass for the next generation. It's not a road map, it's not a way that's carefully mapped out, but it's a truth upon which they were to build their lives and to keep their lives solid, a reminder of the true north in the direction of your life. It was called the Shema, and it provides the focus of your relationship. The instructions for daily life, which is the next part of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we know as the law and all the way through Deuteronomy, that provided the structure for them. But the Shema was the foundation. It was, it was the place that kept them true north. And then, and then the law came on top of that, and Moses writes very simply, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What Moses was saying here at this point in time was God is one, remember that part, and if there are certain things that we are to remember, then we are to impress them upon our kids. I think there are several ways that we do that. And the first thing that we do is we establish rhythms. We establish rhythms in our lives. And the Hebrews had rhythms. And, you know, I have to laugh whenever I read these words of Moses. Because for 40 years, the people have wandered the desert. They started out being led out of Egypt with a pillar of fire and a cloud. Seems to me God got their attention pretty well. They ought to be able to handle that. They were saved crossing the Red Sea. They stood by while there was fire, smoke, noise from Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given to them. They saw the earth swallow up Korah and other rebellious ones. They were saved from snake bites when they raised a snake on a pole. They received manna and quail, and then they had water from a rock they have been talking about and watching God nonstop for 40 years. What else was there to talk about but God and what he was doing? I mean, they had nothing to distract them. There were no fast food restaurants, no computers, no cell phones, no movie theaters, no televisions, no radios, no iPods, iPads, iTunes, or iPhones. They had no video games, concerts digital photography, or even jet skis, Super Bowl, indoor plumbing, air conditioning. They didn't have Starbucks, Target, or Kroger. I mean, they really needed God to care for them in every way, right? But Moses knew that their current experience would not be their future reality. What I mean by that is that the concern is when you enter this promised land, you will forget God, the God who brought you here. So let's establish now how we will teach and keep this alive and tell others. What about us? In this land that seeks to distract us from everything that is important, that wants to have us focus on anything else other than God, One writer said, if you're going to impress these truths in the heart of your children, you will have to be more deliberate about creating a rhythm in your home. In the future, there'll be a host of things that will distract you, and it will be easy to drift away from the importance of an everyday faith. And so for those of us whose hair is graying, one of the things that we pray about daily, I hope is that we pray for the faith of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren and the generations that come. Oh yeah, I've got a lot of hurts. I've got pains. I've got things that are falling apart and things that need to be taken out and things that need to be replaced. You, you all probably do too. And I pray about those things. But the most important thing that I can be praying about, most important people that I can be praying for are those next generations. That they not be distracted from God. There's a tendency to compartmentalize faith, making it once a day or once a week, then a month, and then for some, maybe a couple times a year experience. We often see God as an isolated segment rather than the integrating force and influence of all aspects of our lives. That's what Moses is saying. Two, three thousand years ago, he saw the distractions. What about today? So here's what I want to challenge you with. Show your kids how everyday moments are holy moments. Everyday moments are holy moments. Use everyday moments such as driving to and from school, eating meals together, helping your kids with their homework to make your kids aware of God's presence and communicate spiritual insights to them. Do your kids go to movies? Do you know what they are? I, I can always remember my kids, they said, we hate going to movies with dad. And the reason they did was I, he was always sitting there thinking out loud about sermon and teaching illustrations from the movie. Wow, did you notice that? That really reminds me of God when he does this or whatever else is going on. My kids are going, Dad, shh, everybody else is in the room. But that's how I saw life. What about you? Do you spend time trying to connect the dots for your kids? What a great opportunity at the TV set or the movie screen. There's that opportunity, particularly around TV, to have that conversation. We're not supposed to sit there and just let it go pff, glaze over. That's what most of us do. Here's what he says sit. Impress it upon them when they sit. That, that's generally meal times. It may be a time of instruction, a time for input. Here you work on focused discussion. Last week I gave you the idea. Just simply ask your kids or whoever's around the table with you, where did you see God today? And let him talk. Take some time. We Americans don't just do fast food when we go to the drive-thru. We try to do fast food when we eat at home. And that's the time to slow down. He says to walk That's in the everyday occurrences as you're going along. This is where life is lived out. This is time for dialogue, time for interaction. That's the drive to school, the drive back. That's the the time whenever they, they come through the door. And you don't bombard them with questions. You simply say, hey, where'd you see God? When you lie down, those are the times for more intimate communication and conversations with my kids. Maybe that's the place, too, where a counselor is involved Because we're just working through some really difficult things. And then he says, as you rise up, that's that new, fresh day. Here's the place to think about encouraging words. You know, do you help your kids get up in the morning, your grandkids get up in the morning, or is it always yelling, you're going to be late for school? You're such a laggard. You start putting all these negative words into their minds early on, and how's the day go out? So here's the deal. Plant some encouraging words, carefully spoken or written. Some of you have the habit of putting encouraging words in a sack lunch if they carry their lunch. Or maybe you put it in one of their textbooks. Or maybe you send them a text message that they can read early on. What can I say or do to give them fuel for dealing with whatever they face today? Creating a rhythm means you determine beforehand how you're going to spend your time. Parenting, just as the Hebrews did, parenting requires us to think about what the day's going to look like. So, if you're feeling really harried about the day, that's the first thing that you do is you talk to God about, how do I slow down? How do I listen to you, God, so that I can be a conduit to my kids? The Hebrews had an amazing calendar, they they had required daily time, weekly time, feast days to reflect and celebrate God's faithfulness. And if it, you know in a couple hours when you're having chili back here, I hope that you will seek out some of the younger families and kids in the church. Just encourage them. Ask them simple questions like, "What do you like best about chili?" They'll look at you like you're weird. I know that. Maybe you talk about, "You know, it's really amazing how God gives us beans for food." and for other things. Yeah, you'll get that later. Anyway, traditions are those things that we use to instill teaching and values. Traditions are not wrong if they will lead people towards Jesus. By themselves, they have no worth. So we must continually speak of the reason for doing them. So every week when we take that cup of juice and that little piece of bread, we explain it I can remember my kids would watch me take communion and they would go, after a while they'd go, Dad, what about us? We'd have a conversation. Dad, what does this really mean? I mean, this is awful grape juice. Ugh, sometimes, right? And what is this little piece of bread that just kinda tastes like wallpaper paste? Well, it gives them a chance to talk about that. Second thing, everything's epic. E-P-I-C, everything is epic. What you saw in the Old Testament is how God used epic to teach. Moses is saying it's quantity and quality time that makes the impression a difference. Some translations use the phrase teach diligently for impress. Some commentaries say that this word means cause to learn. In other words, persist until the core to- truth is taught, understood, and embraced. That's why we repeat it over and over again. That's why landing for a little bit of time in the same passage of scripture helps us mine it for its depth and for its clarity. Refine and adapt your presentation until there's actual learning. Make sure your kids are picking it up. When Moses says teach diligently, he said to tie, to bind, and to write. And all three of these words speak of engagement in learning and keeping teaching in front of and center. The Israelites did these things, but they soon became empty rituals for them. And they had the boxes on the side of their doorways. And some of you may have even seen these things Uh, if you drive into certain parts of Cincinnati. Some of the old houses there that were part of the Jewish community will have a little little box on the doorway because they took literally what it says here in this passage. Oftentimes now, when you go to them, they're empty. But they used to have little passages of scripture in there. Tie things on their their foreheads and their arms and they didn't embrace the teaching. They became substitutes for lives that should be submissive to God's rule. The principle didn't stick, but the practice did. Sometimes that happens to us as Christians. We come on Sunday mornings, the kids get in the car. Where are we going? We're going to church. Why do we go to church? Because we always go to church. Why do we always go to church? Because grandpa went to church. We lose the meaning because God speaks to us and teaches us. So how do we make things stick? How do we make things stick? I think that's why I use the word epic, E-P-I-C. First word is experiential. experiential. See and do, not just hear. Do you use your vacation times to create memories? Do you use times where you allow your kids and your grandkids to experience the things that are going on? Do your grandkids say, man, I wanna to go to grandpa and grandma's house, or nana and papa's house, because they do these things with me? That, that's, what, that's what I wanna hear from my grandkids. That's what I wanna hear if God blesses me lo- enough years that I can be that way with my great-grandkids. So that we do things. So I, have a, I have a grandson who loves going to his great-grandma's house, and he thinks the number one thing he's supposed to do is make biscuits for breakfast. Grand, great-grandma's 93 years old. Chet's nine. And when they visit, when they visit great-grandma, she gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Chet comes pattering powder, in, and they are making biscuits. And during that time, they are talking. She talks about her faith in Jesus. Chet listens. He thinks they're making biscuits. She's making eternity. How about you? Steer away from fear and toward engagement. Base your parenting upon your trust for God, and those conversations and those things will teach your kids. Second thing is participatory. Express dialogue, participate fully with in the outcomes. You know, some of the stuff that we do today on, on television, you, you see that. Things like American Idol and other things where you're supposed to vote. And, and, and adults, particularly those of us over 50, we, send, we tend to sit there and hope, and maybe we'll make the phone call, maybe we won't. Meanwhile, the kids are making 50 text votes. They're going really quick at that. Did you realize that Facebook just passed 3 billion users in 2022? In January 2023, there are over 500 million tweets per day. And then there's Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, and more. That's about some aspect of participating, even though it feels strange to those of the older generations. One of the ways we can participate together is we've got some volunteer opportunities out here in the hallway. You can pick a sheet Write down something you want to do and then recruit your child, your grandchild, your great-grandchild to do it with you. Participate. Help your kids relate to Jesus' experiences on their own, to their own too. Talk to them often about Jesus' life on earth. Make sure you know what's in the Gospels, those first four books, about how he went through so much of what they face in this fallen world. Do do your kids get picked on and made fun of and bullied? Wasn't that Jesus' experience too? How did Jesus handle that? How did Jesus walk in a place where he was so very different from everybody who was around? Participate. Image rich. I I use the word image rich here because... uh, Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but my, my brain doesn't think without a picture. Whenever you give me some words, I have a picture in my mind. Whenever you say church, I have this little white building with a big tall steeple, and, and it's probably only wide enough for 100 people to get into it. That's my image when you say it. I think in terms of pictures. Maybe you do too. And, and Socrates many, many, many years ago said, the soul does not think without a picture. Tell stories. Tell stories. Jesus told so many stories to help his disciples learn something. Use stories to teach your kids faith lessons you want them to learn. Tell them the story about how you came to faith in Jesus and what he means to you now. Maybe your neighbor kid needs to hear that story and he loves hanging around or she loves hanging around your house. Tell stories about how God's working in the lives of people you know. Ask your kids to tell you stories about what God's done lately in their lives. In December, I had a car accident. I was in Estes Park, Colorado. I had four of my best friends in the car with me, and we hit a patch of ice. Ran smack into the, into the side of the mountain. I, you know, honestly, it jumped out in front of me. That, that's what, No, ran into that. When, I, when I, We were at a 45-degree angle. Car went up in the air. It came back down. I realized that all I could see in front of me, it was at night, was black. I knew we were headed down the mountain. Suddenly we pulled back into the middle of the, the lane and we were safe. A couple of my friends were hurt. Afterwards, one of the EMTs said, after she had found out we were a group of preachers, she said, well, God's not finished with you guys yet. And I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, if you go back and look, you'll notice that your front tire was four inches from the edge and the cliff was 50 feet. God brought you back by four inches. Now, some people say, I know the physics of that. I know how that worked. There was enough weight in the car that when you guys leaned, it pulled it back, and yada, yada, yada. God saved us. That's all it is. I thought we were dead. And a couple of my buddies in the car thought we were dead, too. But I need to tell that story because God takes care of us, not always in that spectacular manner, but he takes care of us. And so make sure that it's image rich. The C stands for connected socially and technologically. Surround your kid with kids with faithful people who will encourage them to reach out to others. Help your kids develop close relationships with other kids who are living faithful lives and invite adults that you trust and respect to invest in your lives, your kids' lives regularly. Keeping in your mind that your kids will grow up, likely grow up to become like the people who surround them. And so bring those people into their lives. Urge your kids to reach out to struggling kids with love rather than avoiding them. I have, I have two good friends who are both college coaches. One coaches football at the University of Cincinnati, the other one is the strengths coach at Indiana University. And they both see their role as shaping the lives of young men, in those cases, both men's basketball and football, between the ages of 18 and 24 so that they might point them towards Jesus. A couple of weeks ago I got a, f- a picture from one of the parents that had my friend Cliff from IU, he has his hands and arms around one of the basketball players there, and I said, what is he doing? She said, he is praying with my son. You see, both Cliff and Carrie use their platform to speak the truth of Jesus into people's lives. We think, that it's all agnostic and crazy out there. But those men are in there for a purpose. Same thing for you. Are you praying for the kids, for those of us who live in town, if the kids are walking to school? Are you praying for the kids that walk by you every morning? How did Jesus teach? E, they're fishing on the lake. P, the feeding of the 5,000, they participated. How many bags, or how many baskets of fish came back? How many baskets of food came back when the 12 passed them out? 12 baskets. They said, we only have five loaves and two fishes for all these people. And Jesus even went so far as to make sure that the leftovers, every one of them carried a full basket. Would that not help your faith? Wow. I Pictures all the time. Consider the lilies of the fields, the sparrows in the all those things that Jesus would do. And then connected, he sent him out two by two. And he said, I will be with you. Well, I gotta hurry. Third thing is re- embrace the partnership. God's in a partnership with you. I'm amazed at how many places I rely on partnerships and coaches in my lives. And, and Jesus does the same thing for us in your life. You, you, you may do the same thing in your work environment where you make sure your fundamentals are straight, but where do you do it in parenting? Do you have other parents that you talk to about what are the things they're doing to build foundational truth in their kids' lives? What are the things that are, they're helping them with? Who can help you with the fundamentals of being a Christ follower? I think you need to expose your kids to, to adults who can explain Because children need help in understanding what they're learning and how to respond to it wisely. And sometimes they just don't listen to you. You you need people who help you exemplify. Children do what they see. And so are you bringing them around people that are consistently applying scripture to their lives, who are encouragers, who when they see them are just asking them about how they're growing in their life. Three, you need people around, around you that will help you evaluate. Kids need someone to give them the honest feedback and encourage them to be what God wants them to be. That's the fourth one, is encourage. Children need encouragers as the focus in, into their gifts and their passions. There are going to be a lot of bumps along the way who's going to stand beside them and help them along. You know, the most important equation that your kids can learn is not 2 plus 2 equals 4, or E equals MC squared. It is the Lord our God, the Lord is one what I give to my children, what I do for my children is not as important as what I leave in my children. So I want to challenge and encourage you today to leave in your kids the things that God wants in your kids' lives. I got a bunch more pages, but I'm going to stop there because you're, you're already falling asleep. I can watch it. I can watch it. The family exists today, even in its imperfections, to display the glory and grace of God, the heart of God to every generation. So parenting is a full-time job. So how do we help you? There are a variety of resources that this church provides that will help you raise your kids and your grandkids. The early childhood elementary and student ministries provide resources for you to discuss with your children today when you go home. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends, you are so important. You can take those same materials and have that conversation with what the kids are learning. Which is most important to you? That your kids look perfect genetically or your kids look like Jesus? Which is going to matter when you talk about eternity? Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just thank you for today. Thank you for the awesome way in which you speak into our lives. I pray for the parents, the grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors and friends of our kids here today. The Lord, you would give us wisdom and insight and ways in which we reach out to encourage the next generation to follow you as we follow you. Thanks, Jesus, for challenging us. Thank you, Jesus, for encouraging us. And thank you, Jesus, for setting us up. In your kingdom, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.